We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Miller for three. Oh, he backed it in. He backed it in. And the game is tied. We're going to overtime. Warren lets it fly. Yes. T.J. Warren is not human. Ranger catches, shoots for three to win it. He hits it. To go. Brogdon for three. Let's Got go. it. O'Neal drives on Yao, puts it in. Duarte for three. Boom, baby. Anthony attacks. Hibbert denies him at the rim. Karis LeVert. People don't realize how good he really is. LeVert. Skies high for the jam. Stevenson passes into Sabonis for the basket. Jackson turns, fires, and hits. Oh, wow. Turner bringing that smoke. Flips it to the big fella, fake shoots, and hits! This is TJ McConnell, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Setting the Pace. And joining me today, he is an NBA reporter for CBS Sports. It's Sam Quinn. You can find him at Sam Quinn CBS on Twitter. Sam, thank you so much for joining me today. Alex, this is a big day for me. The fake trade community has been circling the Indiana Pacers for... <laughs> A long time. It's, it's been years at this point. I'm excited. This is this is a big day for us. <laughs> I know. I've, I've seen some of your fake trades. I think you've actually sent me some via message on Twitter. And I, I forget if you had someone on your podcast or not talking about trade ideas. But it's all uh, it's all fun to see what other people think about the your your favorite team, right? Because I think every fan is a little bit biased on the value of their players. So. Uh, we're going to get into some of uh, the fake trade stuff with you here in a few minutes. But first and foremost, I just got to ask you, when you saw this news come out, I don't really think it was a bit of a surprise, but just more so that it was public um, because the Pacers really have never done that. But this Pacers team has just been kind of stuck in this mediocrity, the treadmill of mediocrity, as Kevin Pritchard coined it. What have been your thoughts on this Pacers team and this core and everything that came out on Tuesday with this reporting? Well, you know, what was most interesting to me was that you look at the way they conducted themselves this offseason, basically leading up to opening day, and nothing they did suggested this was even, like, at all in the picture, right? Like, you don't hire Rick Carlisle as your coach if you expect him to shepherd a rebuild. You don't, expend, you don't extend Malcolm Brogdon if you're thinking we're going to start trading off veterans. 
So really everything that's happening here, I would think is a pretty recent development, right? Like obviously there have been numerous concerns over the years about their core, the uh, Turner Sabonis stuff. That's not new, but clearly something that's happened over the past, what, 26 games, they're 10 and 16. Clearly something that's happened in that span is what has spurred this. And like all things considered, they've been disappointing, but mostly it's a matter of record and record in close games, right? Like, there are certainly schematic things that haven't gone well. We can go into that. But like for the most part, I think the quality of basketball, especially considering the injuries that they've had, like is mostly around what we've expected, right? Like there have been some bad losses. Yeah. Losing to Denver without Jokic, Porter, and Murray is like that's that's not a game you can afford to lose if you want to make the playoffs. But like for the most part, this is not like this this isn't the thunder, right? Like this isn't some terrible team that, you know, Dutch that's going into nights without any expectation of winning. Like, I think clearly just after all of these years of being on that, of being on that treadmill, like finally they're starting to realize like, Hey, even if we're better than we thought, even if we're better than what our records suggest we are, we're clearly not as good as we want to be. And even if we do regress positively back up to the mean, like, so what we're a 500 team. What's really the benefit of that? Right, and I, and I agree with you completely on that. I think this is a team, if you just look at them, it's a lot of good players with no identity and zero closer. So that's not a winning recipe for success in the NBA. And, you know, Demonte Sabonis is a really good player, two-time All-Star, but he can't be the centerpiece of a team that's trying to compete to, to get into at least the second round of the playoffs. Like, he cannot be the best player on that team hoping to get into the second round of the playoffs. It's just not – a realistic goal. I mean, uh, it, you can look at this team and say, well, well, Brogdon should be this. And, you know, if Warren's healthy, he should be that. And they've got Turner. He should be this. It's just like, there's just so many pieces that don't fit well together. They're really good players, but they don't, they don't mesh well together. And it's uh, just trying different coaches. I mean, three coaches now in the last three years, doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. Um, you know, if Bjorkman was still here, then I would understand a rebuild. And there was actually talks about Bjorkman might stay if the Pacers do go into a rebuild mode that we haven't really discussed really anywhere, but that was the thought process. And so then you see Carlisle come in. It probably came mostly from Herb Simon, the owner, saying, hey, I don't want to, you know, go through a rebuild. I don't want to go through losing here. But in Bob Kravitz and Shamsharani is reporting, Pritchard's been trying to do this since Paul George wanted out. So just imagine if you'd been able to do this four years ago, where this team could possibly be at right now. So I don't necessarily know why it took so long to get here, but it seems like Herb Simon is somewhat on, on board with it. Carlisle seems to be on board with it as well, but it doesn't feel like a full-on rebuild with the reporting saying it'll be Levert or, and one of the bigs. So it seems like a very, very nice way of calling it a rebuild, but it's really more of a retooling or a soft rebuild. Yeah, I mean, just the, the Pacers have always contended, like, privately and I, I guess maybe publicly through some leaks, that this is just not a market that can sustain a rebuild. And I've just never really bought that, right? Like, I understand if you don't want to be in the tank for five years. I get that. And at that point, there are very real considerations financially going on there. I think any team in the NBA, given the national TV revenue, can afford to be bad for a year, right? Like, you're yeah. making so much money just off the top from the national deal that like you also have your local TV deal like locked in, by the way. Like who cares if you're like you don't have to sell commercials. You have a deal locked in. But for a short period, we're like, OK, you're going to take a hit 
with the ticket sales and, you know, some of the ancillary stuff. I don't think it's that big of a deal for a short period, especially because you're saving so much on payroll. So if you're going to be bad for like a year, year and a half, I've always thought any team can afford that, but the Pacers have always obviously had the attitude that they can't. Maybe that's changing. Maybe that's not. And that's something that's interesting that I kind of want to get into. The reporting right now suggests that it's going to be, you're right, more of a retooling. Something that's kind of struck me is I found it interesting that all of this Pacers stuff came out on the same day that all of the Blazers things had came out, right? Mm. Where like suddenly it's starting to seem like Portland and Indiana are both maybe trending down a little bit. And it's kind of gotten me thinking, I don't think this is enough of a storyline on the general, you know, NBA sphere yet, but the 2023 draft is awesome, right? Like this is going to be maybe the best draft in, I don't know, five years, 10 years, something like that. When Benyama is clearly the best prospect since at least Zion, if not, you want to go further back. You know, Scoot Henderson looked really good. Amani Bates is going to be the third pick. And at one point, people were calling him, you know, the next Kevin Durant. So I do wonder if on some level teams are looking at this and thinking, okay, we don't want to do an extended rebuild, but if we can be bad next year and give ourselves a chance at one of these guys, maybe then we could, you know, hit the fast forward button after that. That's a great point. I'm not actually too diverse when it comes to college. Uh, well, not even just college, but draft prospects, I should say, because, you know, the 2023 class, you know, I'm not even looking at that right now. I mean, the biggest talk right now uh, around Indiana is basically Jaden Ivey out of Purdue, right? Um, a guy that I don't even know where he's projected to go at in this year's draft, but Pacer fans seem to be excited about him and his athleticism and what he could bring to the table. Um, so it's funny, though, because haven't Pacers fans kind of learned their lessons on Indiana prospects? Right, like Oladipo, well, things did not go well down that road. You know, you go back to Reggie Miller versus Steve Alford. Like, you'd think Indiana fans would have kind of gotten used to, like, maybe don't get too attached to the college guy. Well, here's what I'll say: um, whenever they pick TJ Leaf over OG Ananobi, that just has scarred Indiana oh, fans yeah. for 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 a long, long time. So I think they're like, if you would have just taken OG, he was right there. But I think it's bigger than just Jaden Ivey being a Purdue guy. I just think, you know, just watching someone like this athletic. The Pacers don't really have those kind of guys. They kind of have guys that aren't athletic. Like if you look at probably their two best players this year, Brogdon and Sabonis, pretty unathletic guys, right? They don't really get off the ground very much. They're kind of flat-footed sometimes. So um, I think any level of excitement around this state in terms of athleticism is just like, holy cow, like Cassius Stanley was just like way overhyped for a second-round pick that didn't even make it to the roster this year. So um, just because we're like, wow, he's the most athletic guy on the Pacers, like that's kind of a, a bad spot to be in if you're in the NBA, if you don't have a ton of athletes on your roster. So, um, but tell me a little bit more about the upcoming draft class, uh, classes of uh, prospects from this year and possibly next year, because if the Pacers are going to, to trade some of these guys, it would make a lot of sense to me to hopefully get back draft capital, whether it's this year or next year from teams that are hope like trying to contend, but not like the teams that, you know, will probably be a top four or five seed. I, I would rather trade these guys to teams that are like in that middling play in game type of thing and try to steal their draft pick from them. Yeah. I think the general consensus is that, and again, I'll just say from the outset that I'm not, I don't cover the draft. There are much better people on this than I do, but, but I think the general consensus, the 22 class is like pretty good. Like Paolo Bencaro at Duke, like that's a solid number one overall prospect who I think people think is going to be a superstar. And then there are guys below that, like 
Chet Holmgren is kind of a mystery box, right? Like there's a lot of upside, but there's a lot of risk. There's a chance that he's an all-star. Like you go down the list, there are a couple guys like that. I think 2023 is the class that like people really have circled because I, I mean, I don't know how familiar the average listener is to with Victor Wembanyama. He's the center from France who I believe is seven foot two. He has a Rudy Gobert wingspan, just generational defensive prospect, right? Like can block anything, but has real, you know, speed on the perimeter. He can handle the ball a little bit. He can shoot like that's the sort of guy that you tank for, right? Like that's the Zion. That's the Tim Duncan. That's the LeBron, whatever. Obviously that you never can be sure with guys like that. Like when you're that young, but the general consensus is like, Oh my God, this guy is going to be like a superstar from day one. And then after that, like Scoot Henderson has been lighting up the G league, Amani Bates. Like I think that there has been something of a pushback on Amani Bates from the period of like, Oh my God, he's like the next one. He's the next LeBron, next Durant, whatever. You get that guy at number three with his shooting. Like that's a hell of a pick, right? You're not usually getting somebody with that kind of upside at number three. So I I do think that there's going to be, I don't want to say more tanking next year than there normally is, but I think there's going to be some targeted tanking, right? Where like teams right now that are in the middle are going to look at things and maybe be a bit more willing to take a step back for that exact reason. And like Oklahoma City too, like I, I don't think it's a coincidence that they have refused to add veteran players. Obviously they're really in the midst of a tank, but I do think they're going to hold off until then. I do think Houston's going to hold off until then. Like there are going to be a lot of teams that have rebuilding strategies built around this great draft class. So I do think that's something to keep in mind. I I do want to pivot off of that for a second though, Mm -hmm. and go back to something you said about the Pacers having a lot of good players, but no great ones. I think that's what makes them such an interesting fake trade team, right? Like you look up and down this roster, we don't know who they're willing to trade and who they're not, but there really is something for everybody here, right? Like they have every kind of player. If you want to go at the high end, like Sabonis is a 25 year old all-star pick all the nits you want in his playing style. There aren't that many guys like that, but then you go down and it's like miles Turner, every team could use miles Turner, right? Like there's no team that wouldn't want an elite rim protector who can also shoot threes. Justin holiday, easy plug and play three and D guard, you know, Torrey Craig forward, big forward defender. Every team needs one of those Karis Levert, maybe a spark plug off the bench, maybe like a good starting two guard, like anything you could conceivably want that team has, So I think they really control the trade deadline in that sense, because like not only are they going to be able to get good packages from teams, but like they're going to be able to play teams off of each other. They're going to know what every team wants. It's going to give them an information advantage. Like that's what makes them so interesting. There are like half a dozen guys on this team that I could see genuinely impacting the playoff race for one of, I don't know, 20 other teams. Mm hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what they are though. They're impactful players on other good teams. Right. But together, that's not what they are. But I, I do agree with you. Like, there's a lot of interesting pieces here. Um, TJ McConnell is one that cannot be moved now with his injury, more than likely, um, which I think he could have been a, a, a guy that teams might have been interested in just because of his leadership, his scrappiness. His, he's his the per-minute defensive player of the year. <laughs> right. Um, he's been kind of uh, interesting fitting in with Carlisle's system because when he's not playing on ball, he's pretty useless offensively. Just, just kind of standing there in the corner trying to be a, a stretch guard, which he's, you know, very incapable of, of shooting three-point shots at a high clip. So not somebody you want to be – not somebody you want to watch shoot the three ball. But, you know, I, I do have to throw this out there because the Pacers have kind of – after the report came out from Kravitz and Sharania, they they just kind of 
have downplayed it. And it's like, well, we're willing to trade some guys, but we don't want to completely rebuild. So I'm a little bit trying to, I'm just kind of confused on what exactly the direction of this team is, because if they don't want to like completely blow it up, because they said that in the article, they don't want to completely blow it up. Um, well, what's, what's the advantage of just making a few minor trades? Um, Cause to me, like moving one of the bigs and moving Levert, like that's not really changing a ton it's changing some right but not a ton and are those guys really going to get you back players that help you win right now and that's kind of what they said they want to make moves to help win now but also get younger so I just it's just a weird dynamic with what's going on here um, but I ultimately feel like going after younger players that could possibly be had with picks is the best way to go if you're trying to fully rebuild and I, I would be intrigued to see if them kind of just take a year off next year to get into that, you know, top five, top three of the draft, hope, hoping to get into that spot. But I just, they've never done that. And I don't necessarily think they're going to full on tank like that. Well, I think the, the Paul George trade is pretty instructive here. Right. And I think it's instructive in a lot of different, it's a fascinating trade, but I think the really interesting part about that is, you know, at that point, Indiana had that traditional superstar player, what they didn't have was all of the stuff around him, which they now obviously have, right? They haven't had both. But I think the way that they conducted that trade when, when ownership told Kevin Pritchard that he couldn't, he couldn't hang was they traded him ultimately to a team that we didn't think had a chance, right? Like when we were doing the Paul George sweepstakes power rankings, right? It was always, oh, the Lakers, because that's where he wants to go. Or, oh, the Celtics, because they have all this stuff. He ends up trading him to Oklahoma City for Oladipo and Sabonis in a trade that I think at the time the general consensus was like, this is a bad trade. They got bad value. Maybe they did relative to the time, but obviously it worked out. Oladipo had that one all-star all-NBA season. Sabonis has turned into the player that he's turned into. And I think the lesson you can take from that, and I think the lesson we all need to take from that, is I think the way that we value players and the way that teams value players is often a lot more different than we want to think. So I do think if they're going to put Turner out there, if they're going to put Sabonis out there, something they might try to do if they genuinely are afraid of a tank is, hey, can we find the next Victor Oladipo? Can we find the next, like, you know, 23, 24-year-old starter on another team that we think could eventually be what Oladipo was, right? Like, do we think we can pluck a star in a bad situation off of another team and then give him the keys? I don't know if that guy's out there. My inclination is there isn't an obvious candidate, but Pritchard's done it before, right? And I think that's going to give him some confidence to say, like, maybe I'll make a trade that doesn't net as much quote-unquote value as he would have expected, but I think it has upside, and I think this player specifically has a chance to be what Oladipo was. And, like, if you look at what Oladipo was, I know it's obviously kind of a painful memory, but, like, if he stays healthy, I don't know if they're in the championship picture, but, like, suddenly the roster makes a lot more sense because Oladipo is not an NBA player that one year, right? Like yeah. he wasn't, you know, LeBron, but you suddenly had somebody who you can run, you know, a bunch of pick and rolls for Victor Oladipo every game. You have somebody who can defend the best guard on the other team. Like a lot of the questions that need to be answered right now would have been answered by a healthy Victor Oladipo. So I do think there's going to be some confidence on the part of the front office to say like, yes, I know that the easy answer here is just trade for a bunch of picks. I wouldn't be surprised if they were more player inclined than other teams would be. Yeah. And that's why I think, you know, there's, there's some teams out there that have some players that 
might not be in the rotation right now or, or are barely in the rotation that the Pacers feel like they can maybe get their hands on and, and maximize that talent and, and showcase what they really could be because everybody goes back to when the Pacers traded Dale Davis to Portland for, for Jermaine O'Neal back in 2000, 2001, that off season um, after the Pacers were taken out by the Lakers in the finals, like they could have ran it back into the year, but they didn't. And so by making that move, it was a bit of a risk, but look at what Jermaine O'Neal became and the Pacers were able to get back to the conference finals, um, you know, just a couple of years later with, um, with Rick Carlisle there too. So um, let's go ahead and take a quick break. And then when we come back, we will jump into some of your trade ideas to maybe shake things up for this Pacers roster. So I'll start with Karis LeVert. I think he's kind of a hard player to trade just from the perspective of like how many teams really want a high usage guard that isn't a great three-point shooter. But I think I have one team here that makes sense. What about Cleveland? I think they came into this season, I mean, they couldn't have known what Ricky Rubio was going to do for them, but like, it seems like they've settled on Darius Garland as like, I guess the centerpiece of the backcourt, the main, you know, driver of the offense. I'm not sure what that really does for Colin Sexton. I think in a perfect world, they would probably prefer to have him as like a high minutes, high usage backup, like a Mm -hmm. six man of the year type. Karis LeVert is probably more comfortable doing that than a guy who's still playing for a contract. So I'll throw this out there to you. Okay. Paris LeVert for Colin Sexton and Chetty Osman. I think this has the added benefit of helping the Pacers tank a little bit, right? Because Sexton is going to miss most of the year. Could probably get him on a pretty fair value contract considering his injury. I'm going to throw this stat out to you because this is my I believe in Colin Sexton stat. Okay. Last year, Sexton became, I believe, the 20th player in NBA history who was age 22 or younger to score 24 points a game on 57% or higher true shooting. Wow. Everybody else on that list is an all-star. And there are a lot of guys like that are more recent that fit that bill of like, oh, earlier in their careers, they were called just like chuckers on bad teams, right? Like Trey Young mm-hmm. is on that list. Devin Booker is on that list. Like clearly we've seen what those guys can do when they're in the right supporting system. I don't know that Sexton is ever going to be that good, but I think that's some evidence that like you put him in the right system you put him with the right teammates, I think he would be very productive on a winning team. I don't think he's a losing player. So how does that sound to you? I think that you're, you're kind of in the like realm of going after a young guy that might be undervalued, underappreciated. Um, I think that it kind of does align a little bit with the Indiana Pacers going after players that have injury history. I mean, coming off this injury a little bit, I think if I'm the Pacers, I would be a little bit nervous just, you know, trading for a guy. But at the same time, I'm just giving up Karis LeVert, somebody I don't really see a future with. So it Who also re- <laughs> has a lot of injury questions. Right, right. So I don't think – I mean, if I'm looking at what I'm giving up to what I'm getting back, I'm not too concerned about it. But also you have to realize expiring contract this year, right, team option. So what exactly would, you know, the Pacers have to pay Colin Sexton next year? Because that was part of the problem, right, before the season, them not being able to come to an extension that they could agree upon. Um, and, and how do you think he necessarily fits next to Brogdon? Is he more of a point guard or is he more of a shooting guard? Or you think they can play off each other? And I know a lot of fans that when we talked about Sexton before, they were just not so sure he was the right guy for the perimeter defense because they felt like he was not a very good perimeter defense uh, defender. Yeah, it's funny. He's one of those guys that like he turned out to be roughly the caliber of player that everybody expected around the draft. Like he turned out to be a very good player, which you expect out of the number eight pick. But he did it in, like, the total inverse way of what his projection suggested. Like, 
everybody thought this was going to be a great defender who couldn't shoot. And he mm-hmm. turns out to be a great shooter. Who's not really a very good defender, but obviously there was a lot of upside there in college. He's a good enough athlete. He's long enough. I think if you're going to have Sabonis on the team and like, maybe they will, maybe they won't, that at least gives you a little bit of extra shot creation, you know, from a position where you don't normally get it. So that might make up for some of Sexton's deficiencies as a passer where frankly, he's improved a fair bit, but I think as far as the contract goes, after the injury that he's going through right now, maybe his demands are a bit lower. I, I don't know if that's going to be the case, but I suspect that like it's not going to be cheap. But if he maybe wants to be safe and like lock in at, I don't know, four years, eighty million, like that's not a, like that's a meaningful investment. Right. That's not the max. Like that's not the numbers that we're getting thrown around with him earlier. So if anything, like I think you're right. I don't think Karis Levert is somebody who makes sense for Indiana long-term, but for a Cavs team that has two potential young stars in Garland and Mobley, having that extra score off the bench could be a lot more meaningful. So I just think it's the sort of trade where like both young players are good, but I think both young players make more sense on the other team. Do you think Isaac Okoro would make more sense for the Pacers than Darius Garland? You mean then? Not Darius, Colin Sexton. Um, Sorry. uh, I I think it's a good question just because, every team needs the theoretical version of Isaac Okoro, right? Like right. every team needs the great wing defender. He hasn't really been that guy yet. And I mean, I was always a little dubious. I thought he was a little overrated at Auburn. I, I don't think the physical tools are quite as good as people make them out to be. And I, I don't trust the shooting, but if you can get Isaac Okoro for Carousel, like, sure, I'll take that swing. Cause mm-hmm. like, how hard is it? That's the hardest guy to get, right? It's getting the big wing defender who you hope can be a decent offensive player. Those are the hardest guys in all basketball to get. And I will just, I'll always endorse taking the swing on that guy if it's available. I just don't think Cleveland's going to want to do that because what other wings do they have, right? Like, is he the only guy on the roster? Like, I guess Osmond is that size, but like, he's the only like long-term guy on their roster that they hope could develop into that. So I just doubt that they would do it. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, this is an interesting deal to me. I, I would be curious if I'm the Pacers to see what else is out there before I said yes to this. Like, I'm not slamming the, oh, I'm taking this deal, you know, nine out of 10 times. But I, I, I do think that's very intriguing for, for sure. I would like to see maybe what other deals you have uh, out there for Karis LeVert, if you have any. Karis LeVert is such a hard guy to, to construct trades for. And like, oh, yeah. I think there are some teams that might have been interested in the offseason that aren't now because of other moves they made. Like I think Karis LeVert would have been kind of interesting for the Lakers, but the Lakers cast their chips in already. Like they are down. They don't, they don't even have the matching salary really. Like unless they were going to yeah. do Horton Tucker or not like, and by the way, if the Lakers are calling the Pacers, they're calling about miles Turner. So I, I think that <laughs> I don't think that they could pull that off, but if they're calling the Pacers, I think that's what they asked for. So he's a hard guy to come up with trades for. I do think he's the sort of talent that like one or two mystery teams, teams are always going to emerge, but like constructing specific trades for him is really difficult because of the stylistic constraints and Sabonis the same way, right? Like if you talk about Sabonis and Turner as trade propositions, Sabonis is clearly the more accomplished player, right? Like if you just line the two up next to each other, Sabonis has had a better career, but there are 20 teams that are going to be pounding on the door for Turner because he fits so easily. Whereas like, I think the fit stuff with Sabonis is maybe a tad overstated, but you have to be willing to construct a roster around Sabonis if you're going to get him. If mm. you get Turner, you can just plug him in anywhere. Like, he, like literally, he's played with another center in Sabonis, and it's like it hasn't been ideal, but they've made it work. So Sabonis is a harder guy to make trades for. 
I think I landed on something that I like, and it's going to yeah. be with a very surprising team. Okay, I'm, I'm ready for this. So uh, this is a Sabonis trade, correct? Yes, this is a Sabonis okay. trade. Okay. I am sending Demacha Sabonis to one of the very few teams in the Eastern Conference that is currently below the Pacers in the standings. I am sending him to the Orlando Magic. Oh, wow. Okay. Here's my thought process. Obviously, they had a lot of – well, I don't want to say they had a lot of success with Vucevic because, you know, they, I guess they had a lot of success relative to the Magic. They know how to use a center like that. They just had one. I mean, obviously, he and Sabonis are different kinds of players. But the broad archetype of, like, the offensive hub center, they just had one. The difference is Vucevic is in his 30s. Sabonis is 25. He has a couple extra years on his contract. And I think, in theory, Jonathan um, if, if Jonathan Isaac comes back healthy, he can be the sort of defensive four that makes a lot more sense alongside Sabonis than, like, you know, some people have thrown, I don't know, like, Boston out there. Do they really want to do that defensively? That, does that put such a strain on the Jays defensively. Like there are so many teams that don't have the right partner for Sabonis. I think Isaac could be that guy. And I think they're clearly, they're so far down the standings as is getting Sabonis isn't going to ruin their tank, right? It's just going to kind of give them a long-term offensive hub that I'm not sure they have. I think Cole Anthony is a good offensive player. I don't know that he's going to be an all-star, but I think if you put him with, with Sabonis, like, okay, those two, could probably enhance each other. So here's the trade I have right now. Okay. RJ Hampton. We could quibble over the cat palace. Right now I have Mo Bamba and Terrence Ross. And like Bamba is a nice little flyer too. Like he's had a nice season. And I'm going to say two first round picks. The 2023 pick from the Bulls, which probably not a great pick. And then 2024 from Orlando, top five protected, which is a more valuable pick. What's your initial reaction there? So what were the, the three players coming back to the Pacers? Uh, Hampton, Mark, Bamba, and who? And let's say Terrence Ross, but we could argue over who the salary ballast is. Okay. Um, I'm just I'm just looking at it right now on the trade machine as we're talking about it because I like, I like to get a visual of what it looks like. So really here, the draft picks would be the most intriguing, right? And then maybe whatever Hampton you get. Is, of- yeah, I think Hampton is like – he was basically worth a first-round pick of the deadline last year, right? Like Because yeah, the idea was Orlando wants two first-rounders for Gordon, and they take one in Hampton. Right. So I think the Pacers actually, their draft pick got traded to Milwaukee, which got traded to Denver, which became RJ Hampton, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, there you go. So the and Orlando, all-time... by the way, was the original team to pick Sabonis. They traded him to Oklahoma City on draft right. night, but like <laughs> a lot of homecomings here. Yeah. Um, I don't love this, to be honest with you. I, I get okay. the two picks. I don't like the Bulls pick because it's probably not going to be great. Um, a top five protected Orlando pick, you know, that's interesting, but at the same time, like they're a team that's still in rebuild mode. So how long does that get pushed out before it becomes unprotected? If it ever does that kind of thing. Um, I don't really want another big at this point. If I'm trading one of my bigs, I, I mean, I get why you would look at Bamba as a guy like, okay, he could be your backup center, but they've already got Goga Batadze here with Indiana. Um, you know, Bamba has had a better season clearly than Batadze. So maybe you just move on from Batadze and let Bamba come off the bench behind Miles Turner at this point. But it just feels like this is, uh, you know, you're really banking hard on that Hampton, you know, player becoming something. You're, you're banking on Hampton becoming something, and then hopefully your picks um, are, are a good enough asset. I, this is this is my problem with, uh, you know, trading with teams that are kind of tanking right now. I just – I don't really think Orlando does it, to be honest with you. Um, I could be wrong, but it would be surprising to me if Orlando made this type of move knowing that they're still kind of in a rebuild mode, um, depending yeah, on what they I, get. 
I think I agree with you because like they traded everybody at the deadline last year. I think yeah. the organization is pretty aligned on this. It's the sort of trade that I think makes sense. And I don't usually advocate for fast forwarding through a tank, but yeah. I think the value here is like fair enough that you just take the player and figure it out, especially because he's a good fit. But yeah, I yeah. agree. I think they're going to mostly, they're going to stay on their tank and they're not going to, this isn't the sort of team where ownership is going <laughs> to push them into winning right now. So right. I'll just throw that out there. Though. It is hard to come up with, some, with a Sabonis trade for the same reasons that like Vucevic was kind of a weird player to trade last year yeah. because there are going to be, I don't know, three, four, five teams that really want him, that are really prepared to do what it takes to fit around him. But that's a pretty small pool compared to Turner, where every team is going to want him. So, like, I think it's going to be much easier for the Pacers to get value on Turner, where they can just sort of say, like, okay, Pelicans, you're not going to give us what we want. We'll go to the Warriors. Okay, Timberwolves, you're not going to give us what we want. We'll go to the Hornets. Like, there's no shortage of teams that are going to want him. Whereas with Sabonis, like, I just, it's going to be very hard to get a package similar to what Vucevic got. And that was mostly because the Bulls were desperate. I don't see a desperate team out there right now. There's two teams I think that make a, a good amount of sense for a team that could trade for Sabonis. Team number one is San Antonio. I could see them trying to figure out a way to get him there. I think he makes a ton of sense with Popovich. But I also think Washington is another team. I haven't done any fake trades for him, but I could see them really be, being interested in a guy like Sabonis to pair with Bradley Beal, to pair with Spencer Dinwiddie, and, and try to build there. I think Ruby Hachimura would probably have to be like the, the, the centerpiece in that type of a deal uh, with picks going back to Indiana. But I, I definitely could see something along those lines for both those teams. And then Charlotte is another team that I think could be interested in Sabonis if they don't get Turner, right? Um, not, not sure what it would take, but, you know, if, if Turner gets traded and the Pacers get a good return for him and then Charlotte still wants Sabonis, they maybe like up the offer a little bit, then the Pacers – possibly end up trading both of them uh I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities it's probably very unlikely but i still think there's like a 20 25 chance that they could deal both if uh if the right you know right players are available we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I would trade both if I could. I, if the right offers were out there, I wouldn't force the issue, especially because I think this offseason, considering how little cap space there's going to be around the league, is going to be very conducive to trading. Yeah. So if they don't get the right offer for one of these guys in, in February, try again in June. I suspect there will be other offers out there. I like Charlotte for some bonus. That's interesting. It's funny because it's sort of like, inverts the way that you think of their lineups right where yeah. suddenly miles bridges is the lob threat as you know a three or a four and sabonis is doing different things as a center i think the basketball iq potential of him and Lamelo is just through the it's roof fun. like that would be <laughs> a lot of fun i just like poor james brago man because that guy has been without a center for like his entire time in charlotte and finally like he hasn't been able like he's been you know, Jerry rigging a defense together with <laughs> blue and scotch tape. And like, finally things are on the ascent and it's like, okay, maybe we get miles Turner and he can finally be my rim protector. Oh, that, what did we do? Did we trade for pacer center? Oh, we got the other one. Yeah. <laughs> the offensive right. potential would be awesome. But I, I do think I probably would be partial to Turner for them. Right. Um, I'll throw out Toronto as well. I know there's been some discussion about that on Twitter. Obviously he and Bjorkren did not, get along great last year to say the least but if you're looking for a team that like can do anything defensively that he needs to that's probably the one yeah they got a ton of athletes out there uh og scotty pascal i mean i don't know what the paces would get back in return but i think that you know if pascal siakam became available and you had the package like lavert and sabonis or you know justin holiday lamb and, and sabonis to get him like i think that's something you probably have to like really consider. I think Siakam is a really nice fit next to Turner and would give you that more defensive minded player that Carlisle would probably prefer. But, you know, there's also just the, uh, just the question marks with him, I guess, to a, to a degree with how he would fit in um, with this, with this organization. So I, I don't really know exactly um, if you have any more trades or not, but I, I'm curious to, to see what other trades you have for potential players. So I went a bit smaller in scale for some of the other. Well, I actually, I do have one big one, but this okay. is going to require a little bit of a leap. Okay. So w- where are you at with TJ Warren, right? Like, cause we have no idea what his value is. The report says that he wants to stay in Indiana, but like, I don't know if he'll ever be the player he was again, just considering all of the injuries that have mounted. He's certainly a high risk guy, but like man, not even the bubble version of Warren, like that's a pipe dream. That's not coming back. The, la- the version of him in the last McMillan year before the bubble where he was defending really well and shooting a lot of threes and just like generally I'm trying to like, like we use efficient in a certain, like we use the word efficient in a certain like way when we talk about basketball players, he wasn't efficient or at least he wasn't not in the way that I'm thinking of. It wasn't just the shooting percentages. It was, he hmm. was really efficient in the way that he used possessions. There was not nearly as much like empty dribbling as there used to be. He was like this very low maintenance 18 point scorer that I think a lot of teams could really use. 
I think there are a lot of teams that like should be thinking if we can trade a first round pick to take the swing on TJ Warren right now, we should probably do it because that's a chance to buy low on somebody who at one time was like a really possibly special like third, fourth guy on a good team. Dallas is a team that maybe should do that. The Lakers should look into it. Like there's no shortage of contenders that they could really use him. Here's yeah. just a wild one I came up with. I don't think it's realistic, but just okay. hear me out. Brooke Lopez and Dante DiVincenzo for TJ Warren and Justin Holiday. Brooke Lopez. Okay, so another center coming back to the Pacers. Which You're presumably make- trading at least one, if not both of the others somewhere else. Okay. That's more for salary balance. <laughs> what I'm really thinking here is you're getting DiVincenzo as like a higher upside version of Holiday. I mean, with Duarte there, maybe that's not as important, but yeah. I don't think that there's ever too many. You can never have too many shooters, especially guys who can defend a little bit. But the idea is basically like we're cashing in Warren to upgrade on that Holiday spot and maybe just get another potentially high-end 3D guy. And the logic for yeah. Milwaukee is we don't know what Brook Lopez is going to be this year. He might not be able to play with the back injury. And we don't want to pay Dante. We've already paid Grayson Allen. Let's take an upside swing on Warren. Yeah, I think with Warren right now, just because he hasn't played in almost a calendar year, there's a lot of question marks on how good he'll be this season. He's an expiring contract as well. So what are the odds that he'll re-sign in Milwaukee if he's traded there? He really likes the culture and the organization and how things are, you know, just kind of low key here. That's he's already said that quite a bit. So I don't know if he would like all the attention with, uh, you know, I mean, Milwaukee gets quite a bit of attention now because of Giannis, but they're a small market too. So they're not like getting like the LA attention. Right. But I just think it makes zero sense really for the Pacers in regards to DiVincenzo, not really being a player that really fits what they need. And Brooke Lopez, once again, I mean, there it makes zero sense to bring Brooke Lopez here to the Pacers to me, especially if you're going in a, a, a bit of a rebuild. Um, I'm not sure how old Brooke is at this point, but I'm assuming he's in his 30s, Mid-30s, right? Mid 30s, yeah, yeah. So that the age part for me doesn't make a whole lot of sense with this. Um, I, I understand why TJ Warren, you know, teams should maybe look at taking a swing on him, but if we don't even see him till January, that doesn't give them too much of a sample size to really know what he can potentially be this year. Um, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough injury to come back from like having foot surgery and having some setbacks with it too, makes it seem like, you know, who knows when they bring him back, how long do they keep him shut down? And the Pacers don't really get a lot of guys that want to be here. And I think if you're looking at all four players involved in this deal, um, the, the potential to be, you know, for, for going forward, I guess you could say the most important player, um, or the most impactful, maybe by next year or the year after, it could be T.J. Warren if he can stay healthy. So I don't think the Pacers would have interest in this. Um, me as a fan of the Pacers would be pretty upset if this was a deal that was happening. Um, while I do I do kind of like DiVincenzo, uh, I just feel like he looks a lot better with Milwaukee because of the role he's in and would not necessarily be as impactful on the Pacers if he had a bigger role asked of does, him. Does Kobe White and Troy Brown move the needle for you? I'm not a Kobe White guy. Never was, no. never will be. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. I mean, I get it. Warren doesn't make a ton of money. He's like $12 million right this year expiring. That's what so. makes him – that's partially what makes him so interesting is like if you're right, like say you trade for TJ Warren on December 15th and he's still out, but like say you're right. You trade for him at like low value and he turns out to be the guy he was in 1920. Like that's a home run trade. Like that's a swings the playoffs for your team sort of trade. I wonder if some team is going to try to make it, but you're right. It doesn't seem like there's an obvious move out there for it. Yeah, and I, I think the Pacers really do value the fact that he wants to be here. I mean, the reporting from this, clearly it seems like 
they're okay or they made it known that he wants to be here knowing that they are going into a rebuild. So if he's okay with a rebuild, then I think that speaks volumes of, you know, his love for the city and the organization. And I don't think the Pacers who have openly said it's hard to get guys here um, would want to get rid of a guy that desperately or not desperately, but, you know, openly wants to be here. Yeah, I mostly agree. And I think when you just go down from there, like Tory Craig, any contender would want him. Yeah. I'll throw out like here's the like slight upside version of a Tory Craig trade. Send him back to Phoenix for Jalen Smith. Take a look yeah. and see if you can fix the number 10 overall pick. Yeah. No, that's an idea. I mean, I you know, it's funny to think about it. I I know like last year, like you're looking at the Suns, like just imagine if they would have had someone like Turner on their team. Um, clearly you wouldn't start him, you'd bring him off the bench. I'm a which just would be so weird um having him play behind DeAndre Ayton, but just like having that type of player on that roster where he could be almost like a six man would really, you know, catapult their chances of it would he, solve their Giannis problem. Right. I mean, you know, Turner's had some good moments on Giannis as well, but I think that they would have a much better team defense knowing the players that they have there in Bridges and uh, you know, Chris Paul being the defender he is. And DeAndre Ayton wasn't really bad last year. It was a good learning experience for him, uh, but it's just a tough task for him to do that. And Jay Crowder's not a, a slouch defensively either. So it's just kind of funny, like you said it earlier, Turner can fit into so many more teams than Sabonis can. But I still think like what teams give up for Turner won't be as much as maybe a team that calls for Sabonis that's more desperate uh, to, yeah. to make a deal for him. I, I do think there's some – there's some sentiment out there that the way that, you know, Twitter and like reporters value Turner is very different from the way that teams value Turner. And if yeah. you look at like the way, like the Celtics example is perfect, right? Like they, they weren't like, they lost Gordon Hayward for nothing and yeah. they still wouldn't trade him for Miles Turner. That like, was so dumb. <laughs> that Like that, that, that whole situation was a mess. And like, Frank, that should have been our first sign that maybe Danny Ainge was not quite like, the best GM anymore. Um, that was just an inexcusable mistake. I, I don't even have anything to add to that, but like, I th do think that gives some credibility to the idea that like maybe teams aren't as into miles Turner as we are, or maybe the idea of miles Turner is better than the actual player. I don't yeah. subscribe to that, but I, I do think that there are people that think that way and there are teams that think that way. Phoenix is going to do something. I don't know what it is, but Phoenix has all of their first round picks burning a hole in their pocket. They have the Dario Saric contract that's not going to help them this year. There's going to be a move there. I don't know what. I don't think that it's Turner. Yeah. But they're going to do something. And, like, the, the Pacers have anything that they could need. Like, maybe they'd be interested in bringing back TJ Warren. I don't know. But here's the other one. Justin Holiday. any team could use him, right? Like, it's the simplest 3 and D guard. There's just pick a contender and he would fit. I'm coming to you now as an envoy of Lakers Twitter. Okay. I am offering you Kendrick Nunn and name the amount of second round picks to get Justin Holiday to LA. I mean, I think that'd be okay. I think the Pacers probably would look at that because um, Kendrick Nunn was a guy that I think people even mentioned here for Indiana at some point, just as like a third string point guard or whatever. Like, because he had a you know a, a decent little run there in Miami, right? It was not the greatest, and he's not really played with the Lakers much this year, has he? He hasn't played yet, and That's it's starting to get pretty concerning because he comes into the season and like. It didn't come out until I believe like fairly late in the preseason that he was going to be out and they called it a bone bruise, but like the updates have been pretty vague and it's really not clear, but the general consensus seems to be that he's like a ways off. And even when he does come back, he's pretty redundant on the Lakers roster. 
right? Like, obviously, forget about LeBron and Westbrook. You also have Taylor Horton Tucker, who needs the ball a lot. And you have Malik Monk, who's been shooting the lights out and probably deserves the ball a fair bit as well. There just aren't that many possessions left for Kendrick Nunn to use. So I think considering the fact that they literally have two players on the entire roster that are not making either the max or the minimum, he's one of them and he's the easiest to trade at $5 million. Yeah. I think something like none in some seconds for Holiday makes a lot of sense. Plus, Justin Holiday, L.A. native. Be nice to bring him home. Only problem is I believe Justin is unvaccinated. So he would oh, have to get that. that might the, be an issue. Yeah. That would either – he'd have to either get the vax or, um, you know, uh, not be able to get traded there. LeBron is going to have to give him a stern talking to. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, that's – he's out – He's still out with uh, health and safety protocols. And there was a, I don't really, I didn't really hear it from anybody else, but it was on the radio show uh, in the morning here when I was listening. And they're like, yeah, they think uh, he's the only one that was not vaccinated because Pritchard did say that they were 95% vaccinated when uh, they came into training camp. So there was 20 guys, 19 out of 20 were, but one was not. And so it appears that that is Justin Holiday. I'm not like a thousand percent on board like that. That's a fact, but it was brought up on the morning radio show. So I believe that it wouldn't be said there if it was not true. I didn't, didn't see it in any report unless I just missed it. But um, so, yeah, so you got to feel yes. like, you know, if Justin's traded, like he's going to have to just like get it for whatever reason. If not, then teams from California, Toronto, New York probably won't be able to trade for him. That'd be the only. Which is a shame because he'd fit with any of those teams, right? Like he was yeah. with Golden State at one point, you know, like Golden State has had a lot of guys like this that have like, come up through their developmental system and then left to become better players. Like Seth Curry came up there. Ken Bazemore came up there. Um, Kendrick Nunn came up there. Jeremy Lin came up there. They're weirdly good at discovering these guys and letting them get away. So yeah, like holiday would make sense for golden state. He'd make sense for the nets. He'd make sense for the Lakers. Like really he'd make sense for any contender. I just like, I, out of curiosity, like what do you think about his defense? Like relative to the way it's perceived. I don't, I can't say that I'm enough of an expert on him to, have a super strong opinion. I think he's a very, like, I think he's a good defender. I think the fact that he has, he's had Turner behind him. He's played a lot of minutes with McConnell. I think that might've boosted him a little bit. Plus I'm just going to be honest. Like the holiday name is royalty defensively. When you're Drew's brother, I do think there are people that maybe overrate that a little bit. So is he like, I, I know the shooting has improved significantly since he got to the Pacers. Would you say he's like an impact defender if he were to get traded? No, I think he's a great team defender. I don't think he's a great, like, one-on-one defender. Like, he's okay, but he really is great uh, schematically with team defense, whether it's zone, whether it's, you know, just a, you know, a drop defense. If you're if you're hedging, he's good at that. He's got lengthy arms. I mean, I always just make fun of him because, like, his arms almost look like they touch the floor when he's running because they're so lanky. And, you know, he had a rough stretch shooting the ball early in the year, but he's kind of turned that around before he got uh, down with his COVID protocol. So, Really, I think Justin Holiday is the perfect, you know, six man on any team. Uh, you know, there there's a lot of people that I've talked to. Like I know Minnesota, there's been a lot of rumblings about them going after Turner. Uh, somebody today sent me a, a Turner Lavert deal with a bunch of expirings coming back from Minnesota with like three picks, and I'm like, I, I think you guys would be better off saving some of those picks and maybe asking for Justin Holiday instead, um, just because I think he's a better fit with that. Now, what group. does Lavert really do for Minnesota? Um, okay. I, you know, that's kind of thing, like just like the potential of what he might become because he had moments right in Brooklyn and even in Indiana last year, there were some moments. So that's kind of maybe the thought process there, but I'm not a thousand percent sure. So it's, um, it's just, you know, it's just people talking, right? Yeah. But I, but I do ultimately like the idea 
of uh, you know a team acquiring or going after at least Justin Holiday, and I could see a team like um, that's maybe like in the twenty to thirty range in the draft picks offering a first round pick for him if they're really that desperate. Yeah, I think this is sort of like Andre Godala a few years ago, where it's like, is anybody going to offer a first? Anybody? Anybody at all? Okay, fine, we'll do this other thing. But like, I, I do think the Pacers will probably take that to the deadline and just make sure nobody's going to offer a first. And then if nobody does, then you take the two or three seconds and you do that. Uh, I just want to ask about Miles Turner. Just you're, He's the bell to ball here. Like There are going to be a dozen teams that ask. You're going to have your pick among those teams. So I'll just broadly ask, is there like any specific player, any specific team with picks that you're looking at and saying like, okay, if we trade Turner, this is what I want? Or is it just broad like, okay, let's see what they offer and like maybe get the best young guy or the best picks that we can? Yeah, that's a that's a that's a good question. Um, I, I like think I think if, if Kuminga is on the table, you just take it, right? Yeah. So I I personally think like Golden State makes a ton of sense if you can get him for some for something, right? That would make a make a slew of sense to me, just because you need young players back, you need picks back. That's kind of what I would go with if if you can get good players. Like I I shared this with you off air, and this is the trade that I sent out uh, yesterday with fans, just to kind of give them an idea. Was I had Wiseman and uh, someone else going to the Hornets with Turner going to the Warriors and the Pacers getting back P.J. Washington and Moses Moody along with Ish Smith. So um, it, it, it's one of those deals where it's like, yeah, you can get two young players for Turner. That makes a lot of sense. Um, I, really, I, I think that whoever offers the most enticing young player back, um, I, I like once again, I'm really intrigued by Emmanuel quickly with the New York Knicks. He's a guy. I was going to throw out Obi Toppin. Would they trade Obi Toppin for? Well, Tom Thibodeau refuses to play him. Yeah, it's like what I mean, good is he doing? He's burning a hole in your bench. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I mean, if if they if they're willing to trade Obi Toppin, like, hey, that's an older rookie, right? So the Pacers would clearly have interest in that. So I He's was the greatest lo- transition player in NBA history. <laughs> I was looking at some deals, but it's just like, do you think? Um, do you think quickly with um, with Obi Toppin is too much? Yes, from, from I don't the, think they'd give up both. I yeah. think they might give up one, and then even if they do, like you're taking back the Nerland Saval contract, like something like that. I mean, I, it's starting to feel like Mitchell Robinson is probably on his way out in New York. Like, I, I think he might be involved maybe if you were going to ask for a second young guy, but I don't think they'd do quickly and top it. I think it would have to be uh, one or the other. So I, I have a three-team deal that I think you might have interest in. Um, just to throw it out here because we were talking about the Suns and the Knicks. Um, so I had I had the Knicks getting Miles Turner, the Pacers getting Emmanuel quickly and Kimball Walker, along with Dario Saric's contract, and then the Suns getting Nerlens Noel. Wait, say the Pacers portion of that again. They they get Kimball Walker, who they don't really want, so they'll probably just release him, buy him out, whatever. Uh, they get Dario Saric and Emmanuel quickly, and then the Suns get Nerlens Noel. I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I think Nerlens Noel is a little redundant with Javale McGee, who I think is like look. I had JaVale with the Lakers, and by the end, he really, like, he was fun. But by the time it got to winning time, he really shouldn't have been on the floor. Yeah. So I, I'm a little dubious about him in the playoffs, but I, I think they would suspect that he and Nerland Sowell would kind of overlap a bit. But, you know, yeah, Nerland's played with Chris Paul, so, like, maybe Chris Paul likes him. I, I think that's a, that's a pretty interesting one, yeah. 
Yeah, um, I mean, I don't know what else you could get. Like, uh, you know, it's just like looking at this Suns roster, like I'm trying to get them involved in like a Pacers Knicks deal to get them something in there where they send something out to the Pacers that would be enticing. Um, like you mentioned, uh, what was it, Jalen Smith to the Pacers, right? Yes. Maybe the, maybe then you send over, um, like you said, uh, Mitchell Robinson over to the Suns and, and, and look at a deal that way because that would I think that would work financially. Yeah, it would work financially. So the Suns would get Mitchell Robinson, Pacers would get Jalen Smith, Emmanuel quickly, and then the Knicks would get Miles Turner. Uh, then you just release Kimball Walker. I could see that type of deal happening as well. It feels like the Suns are looking at another former Pacer, which is that young. That mm-hmm. seems like the logical Suns move. Um, going back to Miles Turner, can I interest you in a nearly brand new Taylor and Horton Tucker? Um uh, I think all of Pacers Twitter might be coming in your mentions if they even. Oh really yeah, throw believe out me, I've encountered a, a THT trade for Turner. Uh, that is the last thing fans want to hear about right now. <laughs> so, I mean, here's the thing with with Taylor Horton Tucker as somebody who's watched every minute he's played as a professional. I promise you, there are three GMs out there who agree with Rob Polinka and think this kid is a future star. Like I would do anything to get him. Like yada yada yada. I promise you, those GMs exist. For the life of me, I could not tell you who they are. So that's the problem, right? Like, I do think it yeah. might make sense for the Lakers to trade him, and I do think there are going to be teams that are interested. I just have no clue who those teams are. So I have no clue if they're, like, feasible trade destinations. But, like, yeah, I, I think if Kevin Pritchard happens to be one of the three GMs that looks at Taylor Horton Tucker and says, like, he has the best layup package in the league, we think he can be a really high-impact defender, like, we, we think he can be a future star, like, let's go for it. Okay, then maybe there's a Miles Turner trade to be had there, but I think more realistically, Kevin Pritchard is probably one of the 26 GMs that looks at him and says, well, he can't shoot and he's never really played big minutes and the defense is all theoretical at this point. So, yeah, we're not going to trade our high end starting center for him. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't see that trade happening at all. The Lakers really, they screw themselves up when they traded for Russell Westbrook. Oh, don't get me started. So they they got rid of all these tradable contracts for a guy that doesn't fit whatsoever. Um, somebody did message me, my friend, Rhett Bauer, and he said, I would not. He's like, I have a feeling the Pacers are going to trade for Russell Westbrook. I said, no, they won't stop. They're not that bad. Uh, Kevin Pritchard is not one that gets fleeced on trades. He is usually the fleecer or the, you know, equal value. Like a lot of times you'll see Kevin Pritchard maybe take a risk like we saw with with Oladipo and Sabonis. And it's like, wow, that's what they got for Paul George. Right. But then Oladipo becomes a two time all star, takes LeBron to seven games. Sabonis then becomes a two time all star. Um, you know, and, and it has been a really good imp- impactful player. So, you know, it really, at the end of the day, you got four all-star appearances for Paul George, who, you know, clearly is an all-star himself, but that's pretty good um, considering the hand they were forced and people knowing that they were going to make trades. That's why I think it's interesting that the Pacers just came out and said, Hey, we're doing this. Uh, send your best offers. Um, I, I don't know what kind of bidding more they'll put up for these type of things, uh, type of players, but uh, you've really convinced me that it, it feels like Turner will be the one moved over Sabonis. Yeah, I, I, I think that's starting to, I'm not going to say look like an inevitability, but it's just, he's so much easier to trade that yeah. I suspect like, even if on the surface you say he has less trade value. Well, if there are six teams that want to trade for Turner and two that want to trade for Sabonis, it's much easier to play those six teams off of each other and maybe drive the price up a little bit. Like, I don't know who the desperate team is going to be, but somebody is like, maybe it's the Pelicans given like David Griffin is fighting for his job. You know, like maybe it's the Warriors because they think like, Oh, we have a chance to win the title. We got to go for it. I don't know who it's going to be, 
But I promise you there will be a team that's desperate to get Miles Turner. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating, my man. So uh, did you have any other uh, trades ideas that you want to throw out real quick before we sign off? Or uh, are you good to, to, to hold off on what you have? I'm tapped out. It is a shame that Malcolm Brogdon is not available because yeah. there's a lot of teams that could have used him. He was the guy that, like, last year at the trade deadline, Lakers Twitter was all over. But sadly, yeah. it, he's off the market. I mean, maybe in the offseason there's something. But, right. yeah, for now, I mean, look, I mean, you just go up and down this roster. A bunch of teams are going to want Turner. There are going to be teams that want some bonus. Holiday can help anybody. Craig can help anybody. Warren is, you know, the home run swing out there for somebody. LeVert has value. Like, I don't know who's going to get traded, but all, th- all 29 other teams can look at the Indiana Pacers and say, oh, we would like this guy or we would like that guy. So they're really fun to make big trades for because they could trade with anybody. Right. Yeah, you could you could make something work with any of the 29 other teams. I agree with that. And Brogdon, you know, that's an interesting topic as well because with him signing the extension, right, um, I think that makes him more enticing in the offseason if he is available. I also would be curious to see if Brogdon would be okay with staying around Indiana for a rebuild. I think he likes his role. I think he enjoys being the team leader. But at the end of the day, I could also see him just kind of being over the fact that uh, this team is not going anywhere and, and possibly wanting to play on a more of a, a more contending team. And we know Brogdon is a great complimentary piece, like solid defender does a much better job on bigger wings, not really the quicker guards like the quicklies, those kind of players. They burn him every time, but he's a knockdown three-point shooter. Um, you know, just a very smart IQ basketball player that would fit a lot of things. I mean, look what he did with Milwaukee. So there would be teams that are interested in him, especially with a, a, a relatively affordable contract. $20 million a year is not much at all in today's NBA for the next three to four years. I mean, that's that's really enticing if you're trying to go about uh, getting a guy. So I think that there could be possibilities of Brogdon getting traded in the offseason. But uh, for this year, not so much. But uh, any final thoughts, Sam? Or uh, I, I have one last play? question about Miles Turner. Yes, yes. So you watch him. You've, you've watched, you know, most of his games, like, can you just explain like what's going on? Why he's not a great, like not even not a great rebounder. Like what's up with his rebounding? Because like on paper, he should be a very good rebounder, but he's not. So like as somebody who knows him better than I do, what's up with that? Well, a lot of times he's stepping up to contest shots. And so he's not in great position to rebound to be quite, to be fair. Um, if he's always having to help weak side and he's contesting a shot and then, you know, player misses it, well then Sabonis gets it or whoever the guard is that's around there. And then Turner, doesn't get credit for the rebound, but he's the one that caused the missed shot instead of a wide open lamp at the basket because sometimes the Pacers defense can be pretty abysmal. So that also has part of it. And then Miles Turner said it himself after he had a pretty nice rebounding game that rebounding this year has been an emphasis for the team. And it's got the numbers be, are better this year. He right. has improved. They are better this year. He said it's a mentality thing. So I think for Miles, it's just he can get in his head sometimes a little bit too much. Um, he's really trying to go harder for that defensive player of the year award. So the block numbers, the blocks, the block highlights are, are very flashy, but the rebounding I think has been part we, rebounding and, and the team not being great defensively the last couple of years has hurt his chances of becoming a, an all defensive player. Right. I mean, there's, there's a good case. He should have been on it last year, but he wasn't. So um, I really, I really like what miles Turner does bring to the table when it comes to the defensive side of things offensively, you're going to get, the three-point shooting right, and and occasionally you're going to get some, oh, wow, Miles did that where he can put the ball on the floor and get to the basket. I mean, he does have some interesting moves that he can make, but at the end of the day, I think that he has just fit in 
so well as being a complimentary piece that he already kind of knows what that role's like, um, where it'd be easier for him just to slide into a team to say, hey, this is what I do. I, I block shots, I shoot threes, and, uh, you know, occasionally I can be uh, an impactful rebounder. Uh, I just think with him, it's just the inconsistency throughout his career. I mean, on average, he's been about a 12.6 rebound kind of guy with like three blocks and, and on average probably. So I think as a starting center that plays about 28 to 32 minutes per game, you would probably like to see more rebounds, probably like to see more than 12 points a game. But um, his usage rate is also in the lowest it's been in his entire career. So it's just he's a weird player to try to pinpoint exactly what he is. But I, I do think that he's an impactful player. But he's not a guy that you're going to, uh, like, hang your hat on to build your team around. But he's that really, really nice piece that that fits in pretty much anywhere you put him. Yeah, I want to stress this because covering Andre Drummond and Marcus All last year really showed me just how deceptive rebounding numbers are. Like, that they tell such a small part of the story about how good a rebounder is. Because, like, when Andre Drummond gets a rebound, it's like the game stops. It's like... He has to hug the ball and, like, hold it in, and all the momentum dies. And it's just like, this is an Andre Drummond production. We have to stop everything so that he can officially declare his rebound. Whereas, like, Marcus Saul gets a third of the rebounds that Drummond does, but every single one of them led to a fast break. So I want to stress that, like, Turner not putting up big rebounding numbers, that's kind of like a small portion of the story here. There's more going on, but I, I am I'm always curious about centers who don't put up big rebounding numbers. Cause like sometimes it's Brooke Lopez and sometimes like where they're boxing out and like, they're, you know, you're right. They're contesting a lot of shots. So the numbers aren't great. And then sometimes just like, Oh, a guy doesn't have that mentality. So yeah. I, I was just definitely kind of curious mm -hmm. about that, but you're right. Like miles Turner fits anywhere. Like there are half the teams in the league could talk themselves into making like a first round pick and a good young player offer right now. Yeah. And that's the only thing that I worry about is the center position has become so devalued in today's NBA, unless you're like a unicorn center. Like but a Turner kind of is a unicorn, right? He's a rim protector uh, and three-point shooter. But He's I, not like a superstar unicorn, but like that's, yeah, he's the sort of role player center that like every team theoretically wants. That's fair. But I think like you said earlier in the podcast, fans and people that watch the game that aren't like making the big moves value him differently than what they do. And I don't necessarily think it's, because there's times where you can get Turner out of position and stuff like that. But, um, you know, if Turner was, I guess, I guess another thing too, like I'll just wrap it up with this. It's, it's guys like can guys like Jokic, guys like even Andre Drummond when he was with the Pistons would just own miles Turner all night long. You know, they're putting up 20 and 20 almost every time Turner was guarding them. Right. And Turner's supposed to be this big defensive player of the year, yet he can't hold his own against those kind of guys because they're just I'll too counter, big. I'll long. counter for a second. Correct. Because that happens to Rudy Gobert too. And okay. I don't think anybody's questioning Rico Bears that. But their I teams are also yeah. number one in the and the Jazz have been a top three team most of the time yes. when he has won, and their defense has been a top defense where the Pacers have not really had that same team success, I guess you could say, which also magnifies and all the defensive metrics do magnify center positions, right? Or the center player instead of wing players. Like Mikael Bridges should probably be the front runner right now for defense player of the year. But uh Metrics might say it's Rudy Gobert at this point. So um, <laughs> there's just a lot that goes into it. But um, Turner is a really good player. I, I'm, I'm, I've been critical of him for a long time because I just wanted the consistencies. Larry Bird set the bar high by calling him possibly the best player in franchise history when he was drafted. 
just a lot of high praise, a lot of high expectations for a guy that never really was going to reach them. And um, that's what we do. We put expectations on players and then they don't reach them and then fans get disappointed. So that could have possibly been why some fans turned on them earlier than, um, you know, they should have. But um, Sam, I'm rambling. Tell me where people can find you on social media and anything you want to play. Uh, follow me, Sam Quinn, CBS. Um, go read me at CBS Sports. I promise you I will have fake Pacers trades. Like, there's no shortage of them right now. I'm probably going to write about it in the next couple days, so look out for that. But, yeah, other than that, like, thank you for having me on. Like, we've been talking about this for oh, a while. We yeah. just haven't been able to get the scheduling right, like, a little behind the curtain. Like, we had talked about it in the offseason a little bit, and then the last time we talked was like, oh, I'd love to, but I'm about to move this week. So, like, I'm glad we finally got to do this. Yeah, and it worked out at the perfect time, too, with a bunch of stuff to talk about that fans are excited. So um, timing is everything, and just like that, we made the perfect deal, but it was just patience, and uh, that's what the Pacers have to do with all their players. So, um, all right, everybody, uh, you can check us out uh, later this week. Uh, Flachi will be back home. We'll do a mailbag podcast, and uh, really appreciate you guys for listening to Setting the Pace. We will talk to you all later. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.